All right, did you catch that? Next week is Christmas. Wow, that's crazy. Um, and so I'm just going to review with you next week. There's no 9 and 11 because it's Christmas Eve. And so we're going to start Christmas Eve on the 23rd. We'll have a 6 o'clock um, candlelight gathering. And then on a week from today, on Sunday the 24th, we'll have a 1 o'clock and a 3 o'clock um, candlelight gathering. Only thing that's going to be different is at 3 o'clock we have um, a ministry for Babies through pre-K, all right? So I think I got that right. Um, anyway, bring your family, bring your friends. Remember, this is, a, this is one of the two times a year that many people come to church. And so um, bring your friends, and uh, let's enjoy Christmas together. All right, then the next week is New Year's Eve. And so what we're going to do on New Year's Eve is we're going to have one gathering at 10 o'clock. All right, so not the 9 and 11, just one at 10 o'clock on New Year's Eve. Okay, so that, uh, make sure you put that in your calendars so you uh, remember. And then um, one of the things I usually do, you know, beginning of September, somewhere around there, is um, I invite you to let us know of people that you see here at the, in the church who are engaging in ministry, having an impact, they're growing in their faith, I mean, they're, they're a real spiritual leader. And I know that we all don't have exposure to everybody. And as, um, as pastors and as an elder team, we want to know who you see really rising to the surface as a leader, a person who's a, a, above integrity or a, above reproach and a person of integrity. And um, this is typically a time we're looking to see, do we want to add new elders onto the elder team and others will roll off and we're not doing that is much this year because we're right in the middle of a search process, and so continuity is um, really important. But we do want to know people that you are recognizing as, um, as leaders and potential elders here at Rolling Hills. And so use those cards, let us know, drop them in the uh, offering boxes on the way out. And, uh, or if you, if you work, uh, serve alongside one of the pastors here at Rolling Hills, let them know. And uh, we love... Um, Knowing that and who we need to, to connect with more. All right? Okay. Genesis chapter 50. This is, uh, this, there's only 50 of them. And uh, so we are at the last chapter of Genesis. We have been in Genesis um, for this calendar year, but probably like a little over 40 of the weeks has around 40 of the weeks have, has been in Genesis, and we're in the last chapter today. We're in chapter 50, and this, uh, this kind of wraps up, the book of Genesis wraps up with the children of Israel, or Jacob, same person, two names, um, uh, are moving, have moved to Egypt. So they've left Canaan, and they've moved to Egypt because there's a famine, and, and they, so they moved to Egypt to uh, really, it saves their lives. And um, the second in charge in Egypt is Joseph, the, one of the youngest sons of, of Israel, of Jacob. And so they moved to Egypt. They, uh, well, it's interesting. If you turn to chapter 50, you flip the next page and you're in Exodus. From the last page of Genesis to the first page of Exodus is a few hundred years. And so when you start Exodus, you find out that this 70 
this, this group of 70, this family that moved to Egypt, now a few hundred years later, has grown to two million people who are still living in Egypt. But the change has happened in that now there are a couple pharaohs past the one that Joseph was working with and the pharaoh that really loved Joseph and, and honored him. Um, now there's a new pharaoh. And this new pharaoh does not know Joseph, is not bound by the history um, of this people. All he knows is that there's a Hebrew people in Egypt that is growing to be a significant number of people, two million, that actually, um, and they, they don't worship our God, our gods here in Egypt. And they, they don't really, um, aren't being integrated into our culture, into our values. And, and so these people are a threat to this new king. And so he imprisons them. And so now when Exodus begins, the book of Exodus be, begins, those two million people are enslaved in Egypt. And um, God will, in the near future, uh, do a group of, a, a set of miracles that allows that group of two million Hebrews to be freed, and they begin going back to the promised land. Now, as they travel back to the promised land, Moses is thinking, I need to remind them of our history and, and who God is and who we are and why is the world so messed up and there's so much evil and is there hope? And those are still... The worldview, whatever your worldview is, you, you, have, you have to have answers to those questions. Okay, And so um, he's answering those big questions. And so he wrote, writes the first five books of the Bible so that his people who are now in the wilderness free can remember who they are, where they came from, who God is, um, why is the world so messed up, and is there hope? And that hope is actually coming through their line. It's been promised to Abraham and there's a hope coming to the world that will be the Messiah, the promised one, the one that will take this, this world that God created to be in perfect harmony with itself, humans with one another, and humans with God, and yet it's been broken into this chaos and disharmony that we see, and is there hope that it can be restored? All of that is covered in Genesis. And... Um, and, and Moses wants the people to know, hey, that this is, this is your history. This is who you are. And so if you go back, you know, 35 chapters to chapter 15, in verse 13, Moses writes, And the Lord said to Abram, this is when God's giving Abraham or Abram promises that through your family line, is going to come hope to all the world. And I will make you a great nation, and I will give you a land that I promised to you. And so going back to some of those promises, then the Lord said to Abram, verse 13, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. And so God said, you're going to have a promised land. They're going to be a great nation. There's going to, um, the hope of the world is going to come. Blessings to all nations are going to come through your family. Um, but you're going to spend some time in a different land, and you will be afflicted for 400 years. 14, but I will bring judgment on the nation and they, that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. And so, 
man, as Moses is writing this and the people of Israel are hearing this, they're going, man, that just happened. You know, that, that, that promise to Abraham, our father, happened over 500 years ago. And now we're seeing the fulfillment in our lifetimes. And Moses is reminding them, you know, we just were let go out of Egypt because of our God miraculously intervened on our behalf. And we're going into a land to possess that our God has promised to us. And our God is the God, the creator of the universe. And our God um, didn't have any problem overcoming the gods of Egypt, nor will he have that problem in overcoming the gods of Canaan. And so Moses is reminding them, and this is the first point as we wrap up Genesis, is God's purposes will not be thwarted, and we can trust them. And all throughout the book of Genesis, we've seen a plan of God, and we've seen people not trusting God and bringing suffering and pain as a result. But even through all of that, God's plan was still marching forward. And we see it in the life of, of Joseph as well, as we'll talk about in a little bit later. Okay, but now verse 16 of chapter 15, and they shall come back here. So they'll be taken away, they'll be oppressed um, for 400 years, but they shall come back to the promised land in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And that's a really interesting phrase, because how many times have you heard, you know, the God of the Old Testament is just mean. I, I can't... I can't deal with the God of the Old Testament. It's just wiping everybody out. You know, it, when the Hebrew people took the land of, the, of um, the promised land, they went and they wiped people out. And that's what God asked them to do. God is so cruel. And, you know, it wasn't until Jesus came along that Jesus all of a sudden made God the Father nicer. And that's not true. Because just look at this phrase. It says, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. What God is saying is, uh, this has been an evil people. They've been uh, evil and ignoring me, but they've been evil to each other. They take their influence and affluence and use it to oppress and take advantage of others. They do not look out for um, the disadvantaged and those who are at risk, but they actually take advantage. They're cruel people. And for 400 years, I'm willing to give them a chance to turn from their ways and turn back to me. And you say, well, you know, God of the Hebrews is not the God of the Canaanites. And yet um, we learn in the New Testament in the book of Romans that um, we're all created in the image of God. And we know that from the beginning of Genesis. But one of the things God did in us is he created a God consciousness in us that we internally know that there's something greater than ourselves and something has to make sense of this world and beyond um, and th this incredibly complex system of life that is all around us and this complexity of it, if you mess with it, it destroys it, it doesn't build it and there has to be an intelligent mind behind it and all this around us just points to there's something greater than ourselves. And so we have this God consciousness in us that um, drives us to, to the, there's something bigger than ourselves. And it says that if, if we take a step in pursuing to know God, God will give, a, 
give us more of himself and so that we can eventually know him. And we know that in different parts of the world, we hear, we hear this in Muslim parts of the world, that um, many Muslims are coming to Christ because of God coming to them in their dreams. And they may have a missionary in their town because that person may be killed. But God is using that God consciousness within them to stir them and then provide, he, he's not limited to how he can speak to people. And so uh, here in uh, the Amorites, God's saying, hey, I'm a patient God and I'm gonna be patient for 400 years until my patience is withdrawn and my judgment is finally going to come because I'm a patient God. I don't want anybody to miss out on the chance to know me and to turn from their ways and to turn back to the God who created them. Okay, now chapter 50. Um, Jacob has just passed away in chapter 49. And so Joseph, his son, who's also the second in charge in Egypt, goes to Pharaoh and, say, and says, hey, can I have some PTO? I, I need some personal time off to go and take dad and take him back to Canaan um, to where his fathers are buried. And I would like to, that was his, his desire to bury um, to have him buried with his dad. And so can I do that? And Pharaoh says, not only can you do that, but I'm going to send a delegation with you in order to honor your dad. So Joseph and his brothers and this delegation of dignitaries from, from Egypt go with them, take the body of Jacob or Israel back to Canaan and bury him, and then they come back home. And then an interesting thing happens into, in the lives of Joseph's brothers who had been treated well, who had been saved and set up in Egypt. Now they're starting to think, oh no, dad's gone. I wonder if that's why Joseph didn't lash out at us. I mean, didn't pay us back for the evil we did to him. And so they're, they're worried. There's fear growing inside of them. So chapter 50, verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for the evil we did to him. Because when he was 17 years old, they sold him because he was dad's favorite. They sold him um, to a caravan going to Egypt. And those people sold him into slavery in Egypt. And so that was an unbelievable betrayal. Family, of, you know, familial abuse done to their brother. And yet when they get reconnected, you know, 20 years later, they uh, are connected to a guy who says, I forgive you. And yet they're not receiving it. You know, it's one thing to say, yes, yeah, somebody forgives you. But if you're not forgiving yourself, it doesn't have any impact on you. You still carry this burden and this guilt with you. And they said, I think his hate has been growing. That word means to, to have a growing grudge and bitterness. It's been growing. It's been simmering all these years. It's like a, it's like a pressure cookie, cooker building up steam. And now that dad's gone, there's nothing holding him back. And the ax is going to drop and we're in trouble. We deserve it, by the way, because he says and he's going to pay us back. They're not saying that he's going to justly treat us. They're saying he's going to justly treat us. He's going to give us what we deserve and justice is finally going to be served. And they've been living under that guilt and that expectation of negative circumstances falling on them 
for 40 years. And, you know, way back five chapters ago, Joseph had told them, I forgive you. And they're going, sure you do. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll see. And they're thinking now, now that dad's dead, you know, who had such a high view of Joseph, uh, Joseph doesn't need to meet his expectations anymore. And so he's going to us, give us what it, we deserve. And so, man, they're, they're just living under this negative expectation, anticipating bad things. And their guilt is, is just torturing them. Guilt is kind of like rust to our soul. It just kind of slowly eats us away. And the problem is, even if forgiveness has been extended to you, if you're living under guilt and shame, that doesn't impact you. You're still living under this cloud. And wherever you go, you take that with you. And so you don't need anybody else to talk to you about, man, you, you've really blown it, haven't you? There's probably going to be hell to pay sooner or later. I mean, nobody needs to tell you that because wherever you go, you're carrying that. And, and you're self-accusing. And you're not believing that forgiveness ends it. And so that's a bummer. That, that is a tough way to live. So what did they do? Uh, they did what they used to do. Old habits die hard. Verse 16, so they sent a messenger to Joseph saying, hey, your father gave this command before he died. Uh, you know, he told it to us. Maybe he didn't say it to you. But just in case he didn't, I, you know, we thought we should let you know what dad's dying wish was. Verse 17, so Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sins before they did evil to you or because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. And how did Joseph respond? Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Why? Because they didn't get it. I've forgiven you guys. I forgave you. And you're not receiving my forgiveness. You're still in prison. And you're not getting it. So here's, here's a thought. is God's forgiveness, once given, is a done deal. It's a done deal. Because his grace is that good. And this messes us up. Because we see, oh yeah, God's a God of grace. He's a God of forgiveness. I, you know, intellectually, I embrace that. Thank you for forgiveness, God. But internally, you may not be receiving it at all. And if you're not allowing that to impact you, you're going to carry around a guilt complex before God that's going to keep you and drive you further from him. Because when you blow it again, you're just going to go, oh, he forgave me, but now look what I've done. I mean, he's, he's got to be so sick and tired of me blowing it. Man, I, can't, I just can't even bear to face him anymore. I mean, I, I'm just ashamed about the idea of coming back to him again. And God's saying, you don't get my, my grace, my forgiveness. It's once for all. And this is where it gets personal because um, that could be you and me. I mean, you may say you're a follower of Jesus, but you continually beat yourself up for sins of the past. Sins that intellectually you know God's forgiven. 
but you still carry with you and, you, and you, you anticipate bad things happening to you. And when bad things happen, you're going, oh yeah, I deserve it. Yeah, I knew it was just a matter of time. When good things happen, you don't enjoy them because you go, oh, this is just, whoa, I wonder what's gonna happen next. This was a mistake. And what's happening is I think God, when he sees us who've come to him and asked for forgiveness, who say, I wanna trust in you, God, for forgiveness, when he sees us thinking that way, I think his heart, heart weeps. Just like Joseph's heart was weeping for his brother. It's like, you're not getting it. My forgiveness, my grace is that good. I'm not holding it over you. You're holding something over you that I'm not. It's washed clean in my eyes. Um, when Jesus was on the cross and he died for our sins, uh, it was God's way of saying, my justice demands um, that sin is punished. Rebellion against me is punished. Not trusting in me, the God who created you and loves you and knows what's best for you. When you don't trust me, that breaks our relationship. And so that rebellion, that selfishness to not trust me, um, justice needs, needs to be met. But instead of taking it on you, I'm going to take the justice on my son, Jesus Christ. And so he took the pain. He took the punishment. I mean, the brothers were right in the sense that we deserve punishment for our evil. And God's saying, you do, I'll take it. You do, I'll take it. Joseph is saying, you did the pain caused by your um, betrayal of me caused me great pain, but I'm going to end it by saying I forgive you. I don't need pain out of you. I absorb the pain and I forgive you. Jesus did that on a grand scale for anyone who chooses to trust in him. And then he said, when he's on the cross, the last word he said was, it is finished. Um, it's the word tetelestai. It means um, that word, if you went to the market in, in Jerusalem and you bought a bunch of goods and maybe you bought an animal to take home to plow the fields, um, Maybe you, you, you had payments on that animal. And when you paid it off, they would have a stamp and stamp it to Telestai on the invoice saying, paid in full. There is nothing else that you owe me for this. And Jesus on the cross, when he yelled out to Telestai, it's finished. The price has been paid for the forgiveness of sins, it's finished. And so for you and I, that's true. If, you, if we have gone to God and said, I, I want to turn from my sins. And I recognize that you offer forgiveness and I'm asking you to forgive me. God says, done. It's finished. Paid in full. I don't need 
um, any more works from you to try to prove that you love me, any more works from you to try to prove that you deserve my forgiveness. It's been paid for. I forgive you. The debt has been paid. Now, Joseph understood that so much that his heart was transformed to extend that same kind of forgiveness to his brothers. And that's what happens. If you take this in, forgiveness in, and you take it not just to your head, but you let it sink in. I mean, the picture is God, when God sees you, he sees a perfectly forgiven child of his. He sees the purity of his son Jesus in you because the sin of us has been taken off of us and put on Jesus and the purity of, and the holiness of Jesus has been taken off of him and put on us. It's, it's the great exchange. And so he sees you as pure and holy as a result of his forgiveness and his grace extended to you. And so if we're walking around under a cloud, we have not experientially taken on his grace and forgiveness. And that's how good it is. And that's what Joseph wants his brothers to understand. And that's what God wants, wants us to understand. And so how can Joseph extend it? Well, it's because he has a theology that he's going to go through. He has three points in his theology about pain and suffering and sin. And here it is. Verse 19. Do not fear. He's talking to his brothers. Do not fear for am I in the place of God? I mean, this, this is how God works. God is a God of justice. He must punish sin, but he'll take the punishment and offer forgiveness. God is judge. I'm not, and I am to trust him. And so I trust God. God is in charge, not me. Verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God. That changes everything right there. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. He's going, you know, um, he's not saying uh, your evil's meaningless. No, he's saying, yeah, you did evil against me. It was real. It hurt. It will forever mark my life. But God and his providence takes what people mean for good and somehow in this chaos of this world, he is continually to carry out his good purposes and his good plan. And it took 17 years for Joseph to see how there could be good. From being sold into slavery to all of a sudden being elevated into a position of authority that could save his own family who did evil to him but because of the evil done to him, which was evil and wrong and terrible. But in God's providential care, he turned it into saving the family. I mean, that's the goodness of God. Verse 21. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to him. And the third thing of his theology of suffering and evil is that God uses people to help other people. God uses people to help other people. Joseph repaid evil 
with good. Because God repays evil with good and providing forgiveness. And Joseph extended that to his brothers. Now, one of the most impactful things we can ever experience in our life is to have somebody that we have hurt. We care for them, but we didn't act like it. And we hurt someone dearly that we love. And one of the most amazing life-changing things is to be forgiven. I think this is one of the ways that God shows us what grace and mercy and forgiveness looks like. Is when somebody that you have hurt, who you do not deserve their forgiveness, decides to forgive you. And Joseph is saying, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you and your families. And then he acted kindly towards them. Boy, I, I, that, I don't know. You know, I have a brother and two sisters, and um, if they sold me off into slavery, I would have a hard time getting over that. And I may bring it up a few times, even if I forgave them, I may bring it up, you know, conveniently. But Joseph, he didn't go, you idiots, I forgave you. Okay, forget it, I take it back. I'll give you what you want. No, he, he forgave him again and acted kindly to him. So here's the question for you. Can you trust God to take the bad things you've done in your life, the evil you've done to others, the selfish things that you've done on behalf of yourself, and could God take all that and forgive you and do something in you that is beautiful? Can you trust God to do something beautiful even with the pain that you've caused? Because but God changes everything. God is good. He's in providential control. He carries out his plans. And he's offering forgiveness. And he says, not only am I going to forgive you, but I want to take that pain and that hurt of the past and I want to create something in you that is even more special, more beautiful, more valuable. That's the grace of God. It's that good. Do you trust him to do that? Can he do that with you? Verse 22. So Jesus remained in Egypt. He and his father's house, Joseph, lived 110 years so uh, Joseph was still pretty young for those days, and he was one of the youngest brothers, and so he, was, he evidently died before many of his older brothers did. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And God did that. It just took a few hundred years. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel, his brothers, swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. What he's saying is, will you, will you go bury me where dad is buried, where grandpa's buried, where great-grandpa's buried? I, I want to be buried with them. And so will you do that? And they did that. But it was hundreds of years later. 
you know, Moses writing to the people who've been set free in Israel, two, two million of them now, they're carrying with them the bones of Joseph. And it's going to take another 40 years for them to possess the land. And when they possess the land, they take the bones of their forefather Joseph with them and they finally bury him. And they fulfill this promise that Joseph asked of them on his deathbed. So Joseph died being 110 years old and they embalmed him and he was, a, he was put into a coffin in Egypt. Now, as we wrap this up, I just... Um, you know, as I said, every, every worldview, as you studied worldviews and you studied different, you know, philosophies on how to approach life, they, answer, they, they all answer the basic questions. And the basic questions is, is there, is there a supreme being? Um, how did we get here? What is our purpose? Why is everything so messed up? What is our hope? Those are the big questions. Genesis answers those questions for us. Moses is covering those things. Where did we come from? Who are we? Why are things so messed up? What's our hope? But a couple other things that, that just jump out of me all throughout the book of Genesis, um, I just want to end with. One is, if I choose not to trust God, I choose suffering. You know, so many times in life, we think, okay, I can choose to follow God and what I know he wants of me in this situation. Um, but that seems like suffering to me. It seems easier, more enjoyable, um, better for me even, if I do this instead. And throughout the book of Genesis, we saw people, person after person after person say, I'm going to choose to do what I want to do instead of what you want me to do, God. And God's going, I made you. I know how you are to flourish. I am a loving and kind God. You can trust me. I know things you don't know. Are you willing to trust me? And many times that seems like suffering. And the reality is when we don't trust him, we bring on suffering. Not trusting God means I choose suffering. Now, if there's not a God of the universe, or if there is no God, and I'm all there is, then life revolves around me, and so I make the best choices I can for me. But the truth is, we look at Genesis, life is not revolving around me. It's revolving around God. It's his story. And you say, I'm part of his story. Will you trust me? And if we don't trust him, we step into suffering. You know, from the very beginning of Genesis, um, when Adam and Eve walked away from God, their kids, their kids, I mean, the first family of humanity, two boys, they get in a fight. What are they fighting over? What's the best way to worship God? That's what they're fighting over. You know, it seems like a good question. They're fighting over it. One of them kills the other. I'm thinking, nah, that's not the way to worship God. But one of them kills the other. It's like things get so messed up when we stop trusting God. And then lying and deceit and abuse and uh, manipulation and injustice you know, came into the world as a result of not trusting God. And there's a lot of pain in the world. We see chaos in the world. We see pain in, in the world every day. It's all around us. And God's saying, I've given you a free will. You don't have to ask for more pain. Use your free will to trust me. Trust me. 
There's blessings that come with trusting God. It doesn't mean that, that we use God, but it means we recognize God as God and we're not, and he's trustworthy. And so we follow him. The other thing that um, Genesis does is the entire book of Genesis, the, the, the story of the beginnings, it already is pointing to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You know, Abraham's given a promise that through your family, the entire, all nations will be blessed. There will be hope brought to all nations through a coming Messiah that will come through your line. And that Messiah will offer hope to the world. And so he, in faith, was believing that God would fulfill his promise to offer hope to the world to be restored back into a relationship with God by somebody who's going to come one day through my family line. And he was looking ahead 2,000 years to the Messiah. And now on this side, we look back 2,000 years to the Messiah. And God said, will you trust me that what Jesus did for you was the equivalent of it is finished? You, you're forgiven. You're my child. Your hope is what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. And you said, yeah, but you don't know me. I mean, I've, I've trusted in God, and then I've done stupid things. I have doubted the goodness of God, and I just feel terrible about it. And so, I, you know, how does that all work out? Well, you know, 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross, how many sins have you committed? Well, none. And so he died for all your future sins, the ones that are happening today, yesterday, and that will happen tomorrow. He said, I will pay the price for all the times you don't trust me. And then if you trust in me and what I did for you 2,000 years ago, paid in full, it is finished. I'll walk with you. You're part of my family. I'll walk with you through the life, this life. And part of the blessings of being forgiven is knowing that you're never alone. Is knowing the mist of chaos and the fog of this life, uh, God gives clarity. What's the next step to take in life that's honoring to him? And there's a peace and a comfort and a joy that comes with that, with not living under a cloud of guilt and shame because God's good and he's forgiven you. And not only that, the greatest fear we have in life is to die. I mean, death is the greatest threat. It's, it's, you know, it's the, holds the ultimate statistic. Good chance one out of one's going to die. It's terrifying. And God says, even then, your last breath on earth is going to be your first breath with me in eternity where I make all things right. God's that good. God's that good. Are you willing to trust him? And take who you are, the pain of the past, the problems of the past, the failures of the past, the doubts of the past, and say, God, I trust you, forgive me. And you can take all of that and do something in me that is beyond my understanding and value and worth and beauty. And I trust you. 
as we close, let's just bow your heads. I want to give you the chance just for you um, to be with God. And in your heart and mind, uh, maybe it is taking that knowledge of forgiveness of God and allowing it to sink, sink into your soul. And uh, maybe this is a new depth of understanding that you can thank God for. And maybe this is a, a time where you realize you've been trying to make yourself good enough to be acceptable to God. You've been trying to earn his love. And you realize that God is offering something to you that you can't earn. And that is forgiveness and a right relationship with him. And so just talk to him about that. And ask him to forgive you. And to claim the fact that you are forgiven. It is finished. Paid in full. And now commit to following him. And as much as you understand it, to trust him. Father, I thank you for each person here. I thank you that, um, you know, 2,000 years before you came, you gave promises to Abraham. 500 years later, Moses is writing these promises to the children of Israel wandering in the desert, and they were looking ahead to a Messiah that, for the forgiveness of their sins, to make them right with you. And now here, 2,000 years after the Messiah, we point back to him, and in faith, trust in, in what you've done for us to be forgiven and made right. And in faith, we believe that you will continue to do the things that you have promised you will do. Uh, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your care. We thank you for your guidance, that you love us, but you also want us to know you. And so you've made yourself known, not only in creation, but by telling us your story in this Bible. We thank you for that. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.